welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. How are you? Hi, welcome everyone. I'm good. I'm well. I'm weird. I don't know. If, do we start every podcast with me saying that I'm weird? I'm pretty sure that might well, be like you're weird or oh, I'm yes, weird. Still weird. <laughs> yeah, or we're both. Or the whole situation is just weird. Yeah, and just well, you're weird. I'm just sad. Like I'm the sad one. <laughs> I might be sad too. It's all happening at the same time. Yesterday was like it was just it was such a weird day. Like. We were out in the yard and like finally out in the garden doing garden work and my husband comes over and he's like, I think there's a pile of bear shit on the lawn. And I was like, no, (laughs) there's no way, you know? And I mean, our our yard is fenced on all sides, but then our house is sitting up on a cliff. And so there's no fence on the cliff side. And this bear must have like climbed up the cliff, come into our yard, taken a gigantic dump in the middle of the lawn and then like I guess went away all the while our like so-called guard dog is sleeping peacefully on my like Persian rug in my office you know very protected doesn't even recognize oh my god yeah well he just he's a pretty young puppy still so he barks all night if we leave him outside which is probably what we need but it's also really exhausting because he doesn't know what is a threat and what's not so right but yeah this bear and it just like as I've mentioned on previous podcasts, like Bear is is my one of my primary medicine guides and allies, and yet like I'm, I'm terrified of bears, and I see them constantly here. We have bears all over the place, and it's certainly just a little black bear, but still, like it was this feeling of being invaded, you know, and mm-hmm. and like oh my god, my yard isn't this safe place, you know, and like that I thought it was, I suppose, and. And then I was picking strawberries and I got stung by a bee, which mm. I don't actually mind getting stung by a bee, but I really don't like that they die. You know, like it, it's a real, like a visceral sort of sensation for me of like, oh my God, now this thing is going to die because it was protecting itself. Yeah. And and that was, it was just a weird jangling situation. And then um, after dinner, we'd go outside and our neighbor's cows, um, because we live on, we live on 160 acres surrounded by what's called crown land in Canada, which is like f- free range. And if you live in rat- ranch country, um, you have to fence your property to keep cows out. The cows just are allowed to go wherever oh, they want, basically. So it's like if you don't want yeah, them it's kind of, it's near crazy. you, that's your problem? Yeah. It's your problem. Yeah. And and so, you know, we've had this fairly old rickety fence that the the original owners built and it was never really an issue, but the neighbors um, merged two different herds this year, so the cows are like wandering all over the place and, and they've got three bulls with them. So we go out and the bulls are like right behind our woodshed and like in a field full of stuff they don't want to eat, like looking rather hungrily at our amazing garden, you know, and so like everyone's freaking out and it was just, and just that, again, that feeling of like something coming into your space, you know, like I just never thought that that could be possible. And I mean, these cows give zero fucks about fences or, you know, anything trying to keep them out. Like they're just gigantic and they'll just barrel through whatever. So, so yeah, it was just strange. And then I I just had a very weird sleep. I just feel agitated. So. I feel agitated too. I no no bear shit in my apartment. Luckily, <laughs> last thing I need. But <laughs> that would be super weird. <laughs> that would be very weird. <laughs> but definitely the agitation. <laughs> do uh-huh. you look at that stuff and think like, oh, this is a sign? Like, how do you know when you're getting kind of like a spiritual message versus mm. like, oh, this is just a real world problem? Cows want food. <laughs> it is totally. Well, you know, so I maintain the right to say, because <laughs> it's my world I live in, um, I maintain the right to say that it's always a message, mm. but I never have to, quote unquote, understand it. I think that we get ourselves into a lot of shit when we're like, um, you know, what is the meaning? Like, what is this really saying? You know, and, and that, 
Um, in the same way that I, you know, I know that my dreams do not speak literally to me, you know, oddly the night before I had a dream, (laughs) well, maybe my my dreams do speak literally. I had a dream that our whole yard was filled with cows. (laughs) So maybe, maybe (laughs) I'm I'm a little more, I (laughs) I should, I should listen to these specific (laughs) messages in my dream a little more clearly, which is a little terrifying, but uh, you know, most of the time with our dream world, you know, there's, there's so much symbolism. There's so much, um, kind of, of uh, association between the the imagery that is often offered in our dream and what it actually quote unquote means you know and and I find real life experiences like that um, that sometimes I can get this immediate like oh my god that's what that's saying you know and it's a really beautiful timely um, very attuned kind of messaging and there is some of that in this whole experience for me right now and I'll explain in a minute. But sometimes it is just like, I don't think it's worth sitting and, and mulling it over constantly going, what does this mean? You know, and looking for that literal kind of teaching from the world. Mm-hmm. I, I know that it's perfectly timed. I know that, you know, occurrences happen for for a reason, you know. Um, but, it, you know, if, if you think about like, so it's our property, it's our neighbor's property, it's our other neighbor's property who have the cows, you know, it's my karma, it's my husband's karma, it's my kid's karma, like who, who what's actually happening here, you know, like when a situation is happening to this many people, you know, can you likely sit down and find the actual literal meaning for yourself in it? Probably not, mm-hmm. you know, but... um Say when I when I had my son, I had a really really hard time in the very beginning of it. I I really did not expect that it would be as intense as as it was. I think is is common for a lot of first time moms. And um, he was about a month old, and I went into my laundry room and looked down, and there's this gigantic um, swallowtail butterfly caterpillar, mm. and I'd never seen one before, and they're fluorescent green and they're just like these beautiful huge caterpillars right in the middle of my laundry room right and that that was like boom like this is for you look at this as a transformation let yourself be a caterpillar like the message was so clear and so immediately um just like healing you know that it was like oh okay like that that was definitely for me you know there's no one else in the room this I don't know you know it's it's hard to say it definitely you know there's this sense of boundaries coming up um this sense of you know people invading on on boundaries and I've I've had some just some relationship stuff not with my partner but like just in the larger world of feeling like people are um putting a story on me that's their story and it's not mine and and I mean I'm fairly good at very good at taking not taking that personally but it like definitely feels like oh okay there's like this invasion of someone else's assessment into my space and mm. I can take that as it will whether you know the bear shitting on my lawn is the direct message there I'm not entirely sure right. but like there is definitely this sense of like oh there's I I I don't I, I think I, well, I know I need to do more of the practices that allow me to maintain my center and, uh, you know, keep this this fluid kind of flexible definition of self around me and not worry about what other people, you know, are saying and feeling and, and about me or what I'm doing and stuff. So what are those practices for you? Oh, do you have a notebook? Are you writing all of this down? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, I'm recording it for later. <laughs> there's a lot. There's there's so many. You know, like it's uh, this the whole concept of like building your medicine bag. You know, to to borrow from indigenous traditions um, respectfully. You know, but this concept of your medicine bag, and people wear a literal medicine bag around their neck, which may contain you know herbs and amulets or stones or something. Um, many of which, you know, is in the traditions that I've been taught in, I, they're, they're symbolic, like the, the med- medicine is not really in that thing that you're carrying in your bag. But the idea being that when we are um, distracted or uncentered or ungrounded or otherwise, you know, moving away from our, our centered experience of ourselves, um, we can reach into the bag and find something in there that's going to bring us back to center. Mm. Right. And so... The practice for me of um, being an apprentice, you know, learning about these lineages has been 
cultivating medicine. And we cultivate medicine through going through really hard times and, and learning how to navigate it for ourselves and, and then offer that medicine to other people. Um, we also cultivate medicine through, you know, people, direct dissemination, direct teachings, right? People saying, here's this practice. Like my, my teacher gave me a, a practice. It's a movement practice for when I'm ungrounded that, you know, has to do with pulling up earth energy and dropping. Have we done that one, Allison? I think I've taught have. it to you before. Yeah. Moving your hips. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll go into that. I mean, Dancing is a medicine for me. Singing is a medicine for me. Um, it, you know, standing on the ground, certain types of meditation, Tong Len, you know, other breath work, yoga. Like, I really, you know, the the beauty of being an initiate on this path in my world is is just how incredible it is that I get to experience this medicine too. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I get to help to the best of my ability, but I also get to develop this like, you know, cultivated group of things that I know, I know will always bring me back to center. And, and we always fall away from center too. And, and that I think was the maybe the hardest lesson that I learned along have learned along the path was that we're not supposed to stay perfectly in this like, zone of, of, you know, kind of impenetrability in a sense, mm -hmm. like where nothing affects us, you know, we are right. human, and we'll continue to be human for as long as we're here. And it's, it's how did Pema Shodan, she puts it like, you know, falling apart and coming back together. This is life. We fall apart, we come back together. We fall apart, we come back together. And, you know, every time we come back together, we get a little stronger, right? And, and that, like, the medicine is not to prevent falling apart. It's to allow you to come back together more strongly. And that, you know, it's practiced over a long period of time. Right. What that makes me wonder, though, in terms of, like, I mean, I guess the, the answer is different depending on the lineage, but it's like, you know, there is this desire of like magic making where it's like you have some say or some control or some protection against or from what's going on around you. Because I feel like a perspective you could choose to take is that if you're having all of this, these issues with people around you and then stuff shows up in your physical space that is unpleasant, it's easy to think that there's a connection mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, these people are thinking these thoughts about me and now I have Mm -hmm. all this kind of mm -hmm. funky feeling stuff happening. So it could, it could be easy to feel like, oh, is someone doing something to me? Is there weird energy coming my way? And yeah. so what do you do with that? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, and this is a personal choice and, and certainly something that I've had many conversations with other practitioners, other people about, you know, in terms of their personal choice, not being this one, you know, is that I... <laughs> maybe this sounds a bit silly, you know, and to say, but like, I, I am not a superstitious person and people I think associate like shamanic practice and, you know, hearing messages from the occurrences that are happening in your life as, as a superstitious act. It, I don't experience it as superstition. It is a, it is a like congruence. Uh, how do I describe this? Like, it's like a lock and key kind of experience for me where, if something in the outside is reflecting an inner knowing that I'm happening, I'm like, oh, okay, great. That's like, that's absolutely what's going on. And it makes sense for me. Superstition to me is like, you have this preconceived sort of idea of like, oh, when this sort of thing happens, then this is what it means. Mm -hmm. And it's like this really easy out in a sense to just go, oh, well then, you know, somebody's put put something on you. It's very possible that somebody could have done that. I mean, people project their energy and they, you know, are affecting people through their conscious and unconscious thought patterns constantly. Like we are we are affecting each other all the time. But for me, I don't like the feeling that something outside of me is doing something to me. And so I choose not to believe it. And I that, you know, therein I'm like contradicting myself, of course, by saying like I just am believing this and so this is the way it is, but I would much rather think in terms of personal responsibility and personal choice in this sort of circumstance to say, if people are doing that, which I, I know, you know, is sort of happening in certain areas of my life right now, um, then it's up to me to close those leaks, those those holes in my own personal boundary, right? Because people will do whatever people want to do, and it has nothing to do with me. And I, I know they're, like, I say that to people in terms of the, you know, the 
I'm the code of, of not taking things personally and going, somebody else's assessment of me doesn't have anything to do with me. And, and some people get quite offended at that, you know, that like, oh, you, you're a sociopath or you're some sort of like, you know, like you think you're some enclosed system and, and you sh- you're, shouldn't take anything personally. Like that's going to lead to you being this like total, you know, sociopath who doesn't care about what other people's right. feelings. But yeah. the reality is, is that how people respond to you really doesn't have anything to do with you. It really doesn't, you know? And and so if somebody's doing those things to me, um, we have this concept in shamanic practice that comes from the Toltec lineages of the petty tyrant. And this is a person who comes into your life and just has this like unbelievable capacity to find your sore spots, to like poke you in your pain and like torture your kind of existence, you know, and like they just always seem to just vex you, you know, ever met someone like this, Alison? (laughs) Just a a couple people (laughs) like that. One one person does specifically come to mind though. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it's just like, wow, like, how does this person have this, like, uncanny ability to find those spots where I, you know, like, I, I wince when you poke me there or like, you know, and, and I'm talking energetically here, or like, you know, our wounds that we carry subconsciously and we're not aware of. And this person just comes along and it's like they have a homing beacon for this, like, unresolved part of us. And and they just, everything about them just frustrates us, you know, and and people classically and understandably will turn around and say, oh, I like this person. Why are they in my life? They're so frustrating. Like, I'm so irritated. In the shamanic tradition, we, like, throw a party, you know, and we go, yes, like, the petty tyrant has come into my life, and they're going to poke me in those places that I'm unaware of, right? And and we don't, we don't think in terms of, and I use this word very carefully, but, like, victimization, where you're saying, oh, this person's doing something to me. They're doing it for me. You know, they're exposing these parts of me that oh. I am not solid on. And that is something to say, like, thank you very much. You know, like, that. that is a great teaching for me. I mean, unfortunately, we think that all medicine is going to be sweet. It's going to be pleasant. It's going to be, you know, this like lovely, loving kind of experience. And and the reality, it's not. It's it's a lot of pain to heal. You know, it's it's our willingness to go into the pain, you know, bravely that determines our capacity to heal. So when the petty tyrant comes along or, you know, situations like this where like there's something that's being poked in me, I mean, I, I know I I don't want to set myself up as like some sort of masochist, but I do say thank you. I say thank you because I want to live in a world that I believe is in a benevolent process for, for me, you know, it's, it's, it's undertaking a benevolent process and it's trying to get me into my wholeness more and more and more all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can only say thank you, right. Which is a very Buddhist tradition too. Right. I mean, as I've kind of come to terms with recognizing petty tyrants tyrants in my life, I think something that I come up against where it's like, how do I know that this is a, a thank you lesson, this is a petty tyrant, and and it's time mm-hmm. to be patient and look and see what lessons being offering versus like, and now the time is done and and you're actually just like mm-hmm. an abusive mm-hmm. person. You're not a petty tyrant, you're just not meant to be in my life. Yes. So, but I mean, that's also... The petty tyrant can be the initiator of a person recognizing when abuse is there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is, it's not to say, and the, the complexity of talking about this, you know, in these relationships. And what I've often said to you, you know, in previous conversations is that if abuse is happening, the only lesson that we need to learn is to be able to leave. That's it. You don't right. stay and go, oh, okay, like, oh, this person is, is you know, teaching me these wonderful things by, like, emotionally and physically abusing me. No, like, if there's abuse happening, then, like, you leave. And, and in some ways, like, we can call that a petty tyrant, someone who's being abusive, and, you know, eventually hopefully the person on the receiving end of that learns to value themselves and say, no, like I'm out of here. This is not okay with me. Right. And that like, they're not in that moment going to have, and nor should they want to have uh, a space for gratitude to go, oh, I'm so thankful for this person being in my life. I'm, you know, speaking, I suppose, from a petty, of a petty tyrant 
sort of situation from a place of not receiving abuse in my life. This is, you know, the bear shitting on my lawn is not abusing me. (laughs) It is something coming into my life, you know, poking me in a place where I have fear and, and I'm uncomfortable. And so I'm in a very privileged position to be able to go. Thank you for this lesson. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't, the, the thing I think about, about practices, you know, is that I think that gratitude is always, um, applicable, but it's not always available in terms of the person's yes. experience. And it should not be imposed on them that they should be thankful because somebody is being an asshole to them. Right. That's not, it's, we don't impose it upon them, but we do set the stage and the sort of expectation long-term, if you're committing to this path, that you practice gratitude enough so that you can transcend duality in a sense and say, you know, even when the cows break through your fence, you can say thank you, right? Or even when something happens. But again, if it's ever abusive, like truly where someone is taking their wounding out on you, the only thing you are to learn is to be able to say, I'm out. Like this is this is unacceptable, right? Mm. Does that make sense? It does. I think it brings up another question though, where it's like, if you've committed to this path, what are you committing to? Like, what is the, hmm. I don't want to say end game because I don't think anything really does have an end game, but it's kind of like, what would you hope to get? I, I In just the sense that, you know, shamanism is this kind of elusive concept and that there's so many different like indigenous lineages yeah. that are all kind of like this mystical, mysterious thing. So it's kind of like, you know what I'm asking? That it's like, okay, I'm committed to doing this work, but what do I hope to get or release, I guess? Right, totally. And it is, you know, certainly unique to different lineages. It's unique to, um, I mean, it's a hard thing because I can certainly speak to shamanism as I have read of shamanism, you know, by other practitioners. And then I can speak to shamanism as I have experienced it um, as an individual and as a practitioner myself. But also that, you know, my shamanism is, is very different than my teacher's shamanism. And she told me that when we first started studying. She said, you know, your base is um, Buddhism. You, you came to Buddhism first. You came to the practice of, of seeking to be a bodhisattva, you know, a compassionate warrior as much as possible in the world first. Then you came to shamanism after, right? And she's like, you are rooted first in that. Whereas she is rooted first in shamanism. She was, you know, acknowledged as a practitioner when she was three and taken away and, you know, trained by these people in the jungle. And um, she she operates in a very different code. She also is, um, she, she works with Wiccan stuff and, and whether I'm just like not capable enough of like casting spells, but I like... <laughs> I am not a witch. I yeah. cannot do it. She's like, you're not well equipped to deal with the karmic kick, uh, kickback. Excuse me, when you cast spells, you know, and she does. She she casts spells on people and makes things happen to them, knowing that she will get back kind of quote unquote not punishment, but like the feedback from the universe to go, whoa, you just did something with that energy. You need to know kind of what that felt like and and receive the the return for that, right? But she knows how to deal with that return. I definitely don't. So so our lineages, you know, are, you know, we're unified, but we're not. Each generation is different, right? Right. So but to go back to this like idea of the end goal. Um, Carlos Castaneda, you know, and, and in his conversations with Don Juan would talk often, Don Juan would talk about, um, what they called the Eagle and the Eagle, you know, is, I think we could loosely translate it as like spirit, God, the Tao, all that is, you know, whatever word we want to use for it. Um, but it's, it's the universal force and it has one goal. It only wants entropy, which is increased complexity, increased um, diversity, increased uh, awareness, right? And and in the Toltec lineages, it said that, you know, the, the purpose of a human being is to increase their awareness, to to wake mm. up and, and become more conscious, you know? And so there is no end point to that. So long as you are living in a third dimensional body, you know, you're going to be increasing in awareness. Hopefully, we don't have to. I mean, human lifetimes, you know, it's not a given that people will become more complex over their lifetime. They can, as Pema Trojan says, you know, they can choose the road of going to become bitter, 
Like we, we shut down, we get rigid, we get stuck in our ideologies and our own ways of understanding the world, you know, and we're not increasing in complexity. So that's a central tenet of, you know, my shamanic practice is that we are to become more and more and more aware, like peeling back the layers of where we're still asleep and and recognize like, whoa, I didn't know that, you know, this wound is in me or this wound is in the world or, you know, like we're always just seeking to understand more. And that really satisfies like a, a deep, curious part of my own mind, you know, and it makes a lot of sense in terms of a lifelong commitment, right? That though is maybe, if you think of it as like a second tier goal in a sense in my lineage to the first goal of seeking compassion like that's the primary goal is to go can I figure out compassion for everything and everyone you know as a practice right? mm. oh yeah I mean there well there's part of me that it's like yes that feels like my like masculine practice in a way where it's it's like this kind of mm. I don't know, wisdom-based thinking, but then there's also that kind of like esoteric, exciting, like magic and noticing signs mm-hmm. and reading and, and intuition and all this kind of like, it for whatever reason feels more feminine and kind of embodied mm-hmm. in a different way. Um, so I'm just wondering how you bridge the two. I mean, I guess... So that... Yes. No, no answer that because I was going to go on to a whole nother thing. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, so then let's look at, you know, um, maybe we'll call it intention number three is to say, can I learn to join myself back with this system? Can I learn to release the fear of my own existence and the fear of, of, you know, whatever I think is outside of myself and recognize that I am existing within a body and the body is it doesn't make mistakes, you know, like it, it really are, you think of like the whole system of everything that is like, is perfectly designed. It is, is an intelligent system and we have forgotten that it's an intelligent system and that we are intelligent parts of the system. And I mean, this is, you know, the concept of the knowing is being able to remember that you are perfect, you know, imperfectly perfect, as my teacher used to say, but like that you can surrender. And I think that's where you get this embodied feminine receptive kind of energetic quality to that intention is like the willingness to relax, the the ability to relax into your own being and say, I don't need to I change myself, you know, I, I, I might still seek increased awareness, increased compassion, these you, very accurate, Alison, in seeing that and feeling that as a masculine intention, a, a movement, you know, kind of out and, and, and forward or wherever we want to explore, right? But it is partnered with this other intention of saying, can I also be receptive to this moment, this this experience that I'm having, you know, can I understand and, you know, be willing to entertain the possibility that what is happening is what should happen and that I don't have to have resistance to it. You know, I don't have to be going around going, this is not what should be happening right now, you know, and this is, I want it to be different than it right is, right? We we can also practice being receptive and saying, okay, so here's what's going on and can I listen to it, right? Yes, I think that that in a weird way, it certainly is what drew me to shamanism, I think, in the beginning, was this kind of oh there's there's a way to control here is a way to empower myself have some Mm. ability to affect my life affect my surroundings um in a Mm -hmm. really like um in a way that positions you to be in a safe secure place because you can like get what you want in a way and it's like the 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 more I understand the more I realize that this practice really isn't necessarily about that, <laughs> which is, you know, it's like the switcheroo. A it is disappointing. Isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, is, is this the episode where you're like, sorry, Seattle, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, this path was not what I hoped. So. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, Are so you breaking tiny. up with me? Yeah, is that what's exactly. happening right now? Well, I brought you here today <laughs> to tell you this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. It's not, no, it's not me. It's you. It's totally you. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, Sorry. but it, I mean, it, uh, there is this weird like <laughs> there there is an element of like again, it's that you want a magic wand and you get a shovel and mm-hmm. and it's like, damn, mm-hmm. what am I agreeing to? Because it, mm-hmm. it actually is just like hard, and I feel like I. In some mm-hmm. ways, I do feel like I have personally lost a little bit of magic in my life, if that makes sense, where mm-hmm. it was like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like before, and maybe this is just like the nature of this situation right now that I'm just like in survival mode, I don't know, but I felt like mm-hmm. um, there was just a much more direct connection to intuition and my gut and my mm-hmm. sensations and that has a lot to do with like how I was raised where it's like you know how much information mm-hmm. you get from the outside world or your body but I feel like as my awareness practice go gets stronger I almost feel like I'm not as receptive so I have more clarity of understanding mm-hmm. but I I know less right. what to do do with the actual emotions, if that makes sense. Right, right. I think so. I mean, it's super, definitely complex and a lot to sort of unpack in there, you know, but um, how do I want to approach this? So, you know, I think that when most of us are drawn to shamanic practice or drawn to um, kind of modern spiritual perspectives and stuff, we are often drawn through the ego, right? The ego says, ooh, that looks really cool. And and mm-hmm. as you're saying, you know, magical, it's, it sounds like, yeah, I want to learn how to manifest. Like, fuck yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds fantastic. And it's like this really... Um, yeah, just mystical kind of like, yeah, I knew that something was, you know, way more cool than the third dimension, you know, <laughs> right. and, and like it, it, it's really exciting, you know, and it, it, it is, and I don't think that's, that's not meaningful, you know, like that we, we are drawn to it for those purposes. And, and I think that you can, and I know you can have so-called, I, I'd call it small M magic, you know, where it's like, Ooh, I made this happen. Like I got a car and manifested <laughs> right. this, you know, and like we can do that. And I think it's super cool. And, you know, I, I'm appreciative of um, human design work. And I think that some people have, you know, a natural inborn ability to manifest in a different way than other people do. But yeah, I mean, it can happen. I, the, the big M magic for me is not having any fear anymore. Ooh. And that's where I want to be. Is, is I don't want to be afraid. Same. I don't want to be afraid of myself. Yeah. I don't want to be afraid of other people. I don't want to be afraid of existence. I don't want to be afraid of the bear that's shitting on my lawn. <laughs> like, I don't want to be afraid of anything. And that's big M magic because I, I know what you're talking about, Alice, and I, I remember feeling this in my own path, you know, of going from this place where I was like, just felt like it was this constant like ding 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 yes you're so intuitive you're so tuned in and like it was just like this like like I'm in this like vibey kind of like wow everything's like amazing and sorry that's like my apparently my parents stoner voice that just like emerged through me but we uh we we come into it and it does seem magical because it's not just like hey go from a to b and get x and y and you know like the the linear pragmatic you know realities of existence are kind of they're not not dictating our, our life experience anymore and, it, and we start seeing magic and it's like it's just shiny and fantastic and it seems so exciting and then it doesn't it doesn't sustain you know and it doesn't for anybody right. you know and and I think that that's that's meaningful and and then we go into the zone where we're like oh my god like I've got like a lot of shit I need to deal with and like all these wounds that have been backing around with me, you know, and it's it's not romantic and it feels tedious. And, you know, Chaga and Champa would always say like the most important thing on your path to enlightenment, to awakening, however you want to phrase it, is boredom, you know, is like being mm. like knowing that tedium is actually like a, a good sign you know if you're excited all the time chances are you're you're in a spiritually materialistic state where your ego is just like woohoo this is awesome look at me i'm feeling better and better about myself and right. i feel more powerful in the world and you know I, I think i've mentioned in a previous episode that like 
that um, quote from Ajashanti that like enlightenment is a destructive process. It's the peeling away of what we are not. It's not this like constructive like experience of going, oh, and now I'm psychic and I can <laughs> levitate and I can like light shit on fire with my hands, which is actually like that's that was my main goal when I went on to the spiritual path. I wanted to light shit on fire with my hands. That was genuine. That was genuinely what you were. <laughs> that was truly what I wanted. That was like, if I, like, at my life will be satisfied if I can figure out how to do that. Because I watched that, um, it's a documentary made by these two brothers in the 80s, I think, called Ring of Fire. Have you ever watched it? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. Was it like a an old Asian practitioner where he was, like, lighting paper on fire? Yes, Dr. Yes, John. okay. <laughs> yes, that's who I wanted to be, you know? Like, I was like, this is, this is the whole purpose of doing shamanic medicine. And, you know, now... I mean, if you stick with it, and and I, I guess if it, if this is the teachings of of the lineages or the the ma- medicine that you're connected with, you know, um, are, are this is that we're moving into um, reconnecting ourselves with the system, and that's the big magic. Like that to me is like if we can transcend the ego self and not be worried about you know, whether we belong here or whether we're loved and like you just exist in that state constantly. Like, I don't know anything. I don't want to light shit on fire anymore with my hands. Like I just, I want to be in that space all the time and and get to inhabit that space more and more all the time, you know, and that like it, it isn't the mechanism of the ego. In fact, the ego is like, this is boring. You should go find some things to manifest, you know, like this is unexciting in every way and just uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but it, if it, that's my goal, right? And and nobody has to have that goal, but that's the one that makes sense for me to say, I'm going to frame everything as, as the opportunity to drop the fear and drop the narrative about something being wrong with me or, you know, the world or whatever, right? Right. It's shamanic practice, you know, is, is so, so much more complex, you know, than I think obviously we we kind of get to understand and probably even more complex that I understand after 10 years of, you know, active study and practice, more than 10 years. Um, It really, I mean, I I think it starts and ends, if there's an end, with the awareness that the universe is alive, you know, and that everything is imbued with spirit. It is this fundamental practice of animism, you know, of seeing that, everything is this energetic dance you know and we're in that and and that's ultimately where we want to get to too is like actually fully knowing that all the time and that you know the everything that's offered to us in terms of people or experiences or whatever is is trying to to wake us up you know and it's trying to get us into letting the fear go because that's that's a uniquely human thing is to sit around and be worried about things, right? Nothing else in the system does that. Right. And when you don't have something to worry about, you're like, what can I make up to worry about? Oh, we're so good at that. What might happen? We're addicted to it. I mean, that is our primary addiction is fear because, you know, that's the, the coping strategy for trauma in most instances, you know, is in an, I, I say that in a very big way, you know, everybody's got different coping strategies for their trauma, but it is generally fear, you know, mm. it's, it's worrying about who we are or what we've done or what we might do or what might happen, mm. you know, and, and we're seeking control, right? And again, that's where your feminine sort of intention comes in there is that in the shamanic practice, we don't seek control of things that are not ours to control, which is other people, you know, and the weather, depending on which shamanic practitioner, some people think they can do it, but I can't. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, outside events, experiences, you know, of, of other people's processes, we control our minds and our focus and our intentions and our compassion and our heart space and, you know, our physical health. Mm. We take control of those things and practice releasing the things that are not ours. That is the thing that is the biggest conundrum for me, where it's, it's again, a, an mm-hmm. idea of will, where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. where everything either feels very like, because it takes a lot of energy to constantly 
stay in your impeccability and constantly be looking mm-hmm. at things that it's like, okay, where is this in me? How, did, how am I looking in a mirror here? Like all of these things that mm-hmm. I would like to mm-hmm. change, how do I change them inside of me? And so there's part of me that it's like, okay, to do that well, it feels like all my inner energy has to go to that constantly as much as you can. I mean, mm-hmm. stamina is different, but <laughs> mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. option is that it's like, but how do I use my will to affect the world in a way that it's like, like, do you know what I'm saying? That it's like, it doesn't serve to, to just be a hermit and, and only look mm-hmm. at yourself, but it's kind of like, mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. change other people, but I can influence. And how might I influence people and surroundings? Yeah. And, you know, our culture. But it, yeah, but I I question, you know, the first statement that you made, Austin, to say, like, you know, it takes so much energy to do this. It takes a lot of energy to worry about what other people are thinking of you. True. uh, Whether or not you're doing enough, whether or not things are going the way they should, you know, like, I mean, you look at the metabolic energy that the brain consumes just with the functioning of the the default note mode network, you know, the central system that is like the I system. This is all about me. It's it's like buzzing along all the time, right? Like going constantly about me, 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 and am I doing enough? And am I good? And blah, blah, blah. And you know, and I say that like jokingly and, and loosely because we all have it. This is the the human conundrum and experience, but it really like to refocus where we're putting our energy is where will is best applied in in this teachings, you know, is to say, we have a ton of energy. We use most of it up worrying about what other people are doing or like what might not happen, you know, and or what might and it never actually happens. And and this this fear-based sort of like constant churning of the mind. And yeah, it takes a lot of work. Uh, I mean, as meditation as a primary practice to get the mind to be relatively still, you know, and we're not meditation is not about forcing the mind, but it's it's just not giving it energy to do its usual habitual thing, which is just talking constantly, right? right? And so we consciously slow it down and we find an immense reservoir of energy to then apply to um, cracking open the heart. And, and I, I think that, you know, if I think about my own kind of internal energy experience, what you're talking about of like, it takes a lot of energy to look at ourselves and go, whoa, like I'm maybe being not so great in this situation or like it hurts. It actually is painful to, to acknowledge, you know, like our role in situations. And, and I often say to people, you know, I don't think we, we're, it's possible to point a finger at somebody else and point a finger at ourselves at the same time. We have to make a choice as individuals. Like, are you going to be looking outside at what everybody else is doing all the time? Or are you going to do, it is very hard and takes a lot of energy, but like do that really difficult practice of coming into yourself and going, what is mine in here? You know, and, and yeah, it, it does take energy, but it depends on what we want. Right. It really depends, you know, on on our our intention as individuals. I said this to you before, you know, but I really wanted freedom. I remember years ago, my mom said to me, you know, I just wish that you would think nicely of yourself. And I said to her, I just wish that I would not think of myself at all. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to think about me as a good, amazing person or as a bad person. I just was so fucking tired of thinking about myself at all because I've been depressed and whatever for years you know and thinking that's what you're doing you're thinking about yourself you know all the time and and I mean that with no judgment you know it's it's this thing that happens because of trauma we go into self-protection and and self-absorption right but I don't want to think about myself at all I don't I want to think about how can I serve how can I be more present how can I enjoy the beauty of this existence and like make every single moment here count as much as possible, you know, like, and that when we have those intentions, you know, I, and those are the intentions of my lineage, you know, and, and many lineages that I know that we are connected to is how do we be in service and, and healing to the whole and to ourselves at the same time, which is always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're not going to worry so much about the second part of your question, I think, of like, am I doing what I should be doing in the world? Right. The world's going to show you what you're supposed to be doing, right? It's going to go, here, Alison, take this, go here, you know? And 
And we that's the the part of willfulness that I don't think that we need to control, you know, is like, ah, oh, I'm gonna make a plan and make myself go in this direction. I think still have high, you know, intentions for how we wanna show up in the world. And sometimes that can be like, okay, I need to pay off debt or I need to, you know, do something. And there's a willfulness in there. But it's still ours. We're not trying to control other people, which I think a lot of the time we're trying to do is trying to get people to notice us or whatever. Does that make sense? It does. And it's almost like the more feminine aspect of will is almost just responding to what's showing up. Yeah, totally. And and I mean, receptivity is always the word when I think about the yin, you know, that, that brings me back to it as going, can I be receptive? Now, receptive does not mean, can I like this? We don't have to like what's happening. We don't have to say, yes, this is amazing. Like the, the cows just broke through the fence. I'm so excited about this, you know, but, mm. but how much energy do I burn saying, oh, I can't believe this has happened. And like, whoa, they should have fixed the fence and blah, blah, blah. You know, like that's, that's irrational. I mean, I, I spent a lot of years studying the Stoics and, and applying Stoic, you know, perspectives and medicine in my life, because like, it's very, very essential to be, I think a sane person is like to be able to practice orienting your mind in a direction that actually serves you as opposed to like creating crazy, much more craziness in your life, which we're doing almost all the time. I think it's just hard to know what else to do with that. It's like, you know, there is this kind of New York, again, traffic, you probably hear that. Um, (laughs) There is this almost like fear of openness. At least I'll I'll just speak for myself, where it's like I'm I'm used to figuring things out and kind of anticipating whatever kind of bullshit I might see coming my way or, or... even I think, you know, people who consider themselves empaths, a lot of that is, I think, actually just a survival mechanism of like, let me take the temperature of the room so nothing will blindside me. Um, So it's kind of like, you know, when you start to move away from that, allowing my mind to just be open, there's something really frightening about that. Absolutely. And you're speaking to, and I mean, you use the word like threatened, you know, like you're speaking to trauma, right? This is the awareness that we are all carrying trauma that says the world is not safe. You are not going to be perfectly loved and accepted and and seen, you know, as a divine being. And we all have it. Everybody's got it to varying degrees based on their, you know, soul's imprint, their biology, their epigenetics, their family lineage, blah, blah, blah. You know, like everything is contributing to our capacity to um, to be able to stay open to the world, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, again, when we are in a situation that is truly unsafe, be that physical, you know, emotional, verbal, whatever abuse, then, like, our, our job is not to go, let me open in this super unsafe mm-hmm. situation and, like, you know, expose my vulnerability. No, you know, the... The first step in healing from abuse, you know, is is acknowledging that the abuse has been happening, right? And saying, uh, that's enough and like extracting ourselves, right? But beyond that, you know, if we are not truly in an abusive situation when we think about, you know, like the our sort of world around us, you know, to the best of our ability. And I think this is this is a tricky space because I think we live in this very expansive kind of global experience now where we can take a front or take harm from a comment that someone makes on Facebook from across the side of the world, right? And we're looking for safety in the entire world right now. Right. And I I mean, that's a that's a really big ask, you know, and people are allowed to ask it, but I I don't think that's possible, right? There's always going to be people that hurt your feelings or that make you upset and and I think we're seeking that in a big way. I don't think that's necessarily a sane response. It's each person's individual experience, but it's not what I choose to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to seek safety in my immediate experience, meaning the people that I surround myself are not with are not abusive, right? And work on extracting myself if they ever are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to to release trauma, you know, is that we have to, there's, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and we were talking about this, this, like, I'm such a biology geek, biochemistry kind of geek about like understanding what's happening in our healing processes from a biochemical perspective. And they're talking about this thing is called your cell danger response. Have you ever heard of this? No. So it was, um, 
it was sort of outlined in a paper in 2013 by this doctor Navio at San University of San Diego, I think. And they, he's just talking about, you know, the what the cell does when it senses danger. And the danger can be an infection, a physical trauma, a psychological trauma, um, you know, environmental stimulus, EMF, mold, you know, whatever. And, and it goes into this very predictable and very um, intelligent response of shutting down, right? It starts to barricade itself in a sense. And I mean, that's a really gross oversimplification of what it actually is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's such a cool theory. And they're looking at this as like the root of, you know, diabetes, schizophrenia, autoimmune oh, disease, wow. um, multiple sclerosis, autism, you know, is that it's all the same mechanism in your cell that is like, okay, like, let's get ourselves safe, right? And that's what we do as individuals, you know, on in a macroscopic kind of way, we get ourselves safe, we go, oh, I'm gonna, like, barricade myself. And that's necessary, you know, and they, they have three stages of this cell danger response. And, and, you know, in the third stage, you go into, okay, how do I get this person to open up? The first stage is, you know, making sure that it's safe to open up. Like, you can't get somebody to open up if they're still in an abusive situation, right? right? Or if, if the world is not particularly safe, they don't haven't created safety. But fast forward to the third stage, you know, I think what you're asking, and I, as I know you as a person and practitioner, is you need to, um, I would encourage you to practice the feeling of openness, which for me comes when I'm dancing. It comes when I'm singing. It comes when I am, you know, laying on the grass when when I feel safe in my lawn. But like, <laughs> you know, the, the the experience of going, I want this. I want this openness. Like, when do you feel open? Mm, yeah, it is usually when I'm being creative. Yeah. Um, or when I'm in nature. Yeah, exactly. Um, in a safe place in nature again. In a safe place. Bears. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, for me, it usually is uh, some sort of artistic creation-based practice. Right, right. And it's, you know, just like our cells healing process, you know, healing away from trauma, out of trauma. Um, we have to be conscious of this in individuals too, you know, like when I'm working with a client, and I mean, hearing the cell danger response theory and going, whoa, like that's, Again, on a macroscopic level, what I'm doing with clients all the time is assessing where they're at, you know. Do they need to extract themselves from abuse? Do they need, you know, a period of rebuilding, you know, where they get to this, like, place of, like, nourishment in their body and then they can practice opening up again, right? But it's it's this very, you know, specific sort of intervention that's going to be offered different medicine at different times. You know, if you tell a cell that's still you know, being invaded by a virus to start opening up, the cell's going to die, right? Right, And so it's it's got to be really specific. And I, I mean, I often, you know, have people say like, oh, I wish you could just like write up all the shamanic practices and like put together a course online and put it out and, you know, everyone can be enlightened in 30 days <laughs> and it's only going to be $99, you know? But like that kind of shit's terrifying to me because it's like we are so unique in our process, you know, but that's that's to come back to the beginning of the conversation cultivating that medicine bag in your shamanic practice in your medicine practice whatever you want to call it doesn't you don't have to call it shamanic practice but you're cultivating that medicine bag to go okay how do i know what stage i'm in and and you know is it moving towards openness that i need is it nourishing that i need is it acknowledging like dysfunction that i need and it's going to be different at every time every moment you know and then we learn over time how to be this very good healer with ourselves to ourselves and also how to sit with the you know pains and distresses of other people Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sukhwapmik people. All music, editing and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. <laughs>